Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Merry Christmas. Actually, yes, happy seventh day of Christmas. We do celebrate the 12 days of Christmas around here, just as we observe Advent throughout the month of December, kind of intentionally uh, holding back on some of our favorite Christmas songs, anticipating and, and, and entering into the longing and waiting of Advent. So when Christmas begins, we like to get the most out of it. So we celebrate Christmas for the full 12 days. If you haven't really been doing this, it's okay. We do have in the foyer a, um, a handout that has some activities, some ideas on the 12 days of Christmas. There's still six days left, including today. So you still have a few days to kind of celebrate. And really the important thing is to just keep it simple, to find a way to do something meaningful with the people you love that just brings you peace, joy, love, harmony, and helps you be mindful of the good gifts that God has given to you in your life. You know, for us, our family, one of the things we've been intentionally doing, well, maybe not the last day, but uh, the days before, we've been intentional with the music we have around the house. I'm sure most of you have done, done the same thing. Melissa has been the curator of our playlist this year, and it's been great. There's been the appropriate amount of kind of carols and pop songs and all that kind of stuff, but... My favorites are when it kind of enters into the long, relaxing sessions of instrumental music, like the pianos and strings. It just kind of makes for a very lovely, relaxed atmosphere in the house. You know, whether it's singing aloud or simply listening, music has such a hold on our hearts. Listening to music is so important. I grew up in a pretty musical family. My mom studied music in college, and so I was always around music. It was just always happening in our house. Um, my mom and dad were in a traveling choir when I was young, when I was little. As a matter of fact, I think we still have a record in the, in the hutch at their house that has them and the choir in their swanky 70s le leisure suits on the cover. <laughs> My siblings all played instruments, so each of them had their instrument. I had my fair share of piano and trombone, of all things, uh, in elementary school. But interest didn't really kick in until I found the guitar, kind of in my high school days. But music has always you know, come pretty easy. But even for me, there's those people you see, you know those people, the people that you know for whom music seems like it's not even an effort. It's just natural. It's just part of who they are. You know the type, people who never need to practice, but they can just pick up about any instrument and just make it happen, right? My mom is like this. From the time I remember, like, you know, she would be asked to do something, a piece of music set before her, and she could just play it. She could just do it, you know? It didn't seem like she was straining or struggling. She just played. And sure, she practiced. You know, there was plenty of practice time, but at the piano at home and as she was preparing for things, you know, she did her work. And the rest of us got the pleasure of listening, got the pleasure of hearing. But you know what? Listening well, listening attentively doesn't seem to get you the same admirers that the, the player does, does it? <laughs> 
You know, and yet learning to listen well and attentively is so essential to music. Learning to listen well is so essential to be able, being able to play music. But it's also essential to our lives, being able to listen well. Our scripture passage for today gives us the story of two individuals who seemingly were professional listeners until the time came for them to proclaim. A man and a woman who've dedicated their lives to listening, to waiting for the song to start. And when it does, when it finally began, they did not miss a beat. Of course, the clues might be there. We're returning to Luke 22, where we hear the story of Simeon and Anna. We've already heard that story twice this Christmas, but it's worth revisiting. It's worth revisiting. Before we read our passage, let us pray. As you led Simeon to embrace the infant Jesus, guide us, Holy Spirit, by your gracious light, that we may welcome your saving word among us and in our hearts. Amen. Amen. We'll be in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verses 22. We're going to break this up a little bit as we go, but I'll read the first five verses for us. Then it was time for the purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law to the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly awaiting for the Messiah to come and to rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. You know, the accounts leading up to the birth of Jesus, the nativity, the beginning of the public ministry, these are all well known for us. But for some reason, we tend to skip over this important scene in scripture. But there's so much to learn here. That's why I've kind of been hanging on this scripture so much the last couple of weeks. Let's not skimp on Simeon's story. And in a few verses, we're going to hear Anna's story. Let's not leave her out. We need these stories. We need to listen for a while. We need to catch the tune, to follow the rhythms playing out in this scene of dedication and revelation of the young Jesus. Simeon had learned how to listen well through long years of practice. As a matter of fact, the name Simeon means I have heard. You might say he was born for this. This was what he was made to do. He listened day and night. He listened for the future. He was listening for hope and consolation. He was listening for the coming of the Messiah, the one all Israel had been waiting for for so very, very long. And what tunes do you think he might have heard as he spent all this time in the temple listening? I wonder. I wonder what tunes he might have heard. Of course, he likely heard the, the teaching from the scripture and, and that kind of thing, but one thing people do at the temple is they pray. And oftentimes they pray aloud. 
They cry their prayers aloud before the Lord. And so Simeon likely heard the prayers of the people. He heard the songs of the loud, happy, celebratory prayers that were shared as God acted in miraculous ways for individuals and for families. He heard the, the ritual prayers, the prayers that people pray in the morning or in the evening, at different seasons throughout the year, spoken sometimes as though they had lost their meaning and sometimes as though the meaning was so deeply engraved in the people that their souls rejoiced in the prayer without perhaps even really fully understanding it. He heard the, the wordless prayers that were wept from swollen and reddened eyes, wrung out of twisted scraps of cloth between hands gnarled through pain or fear. He heard the proud and grateful prayers of people who knew how blessed they were. He heard them all, I imagine. And I imagine Simeon couldn't help but get drawn into these prayers. When those who prayed wept, I imagine Simeon wept. When they rejoiced, I imagine Simeon rejoicing right alongside as they prayed. Still, today, we bring our prayers our longings to the Lord, our songs, likely with the same mix of praise and wonder, anxiety and gratitude as Simeon heard that morning, all those years. I've heard many of your prayers. You've shared them with me. You likely have heard the prayers of one another as you've gathered around each other in the community of faith. This is what's happening in this passage. Simeon knows these people, and they know Simeon because they have shared their prayers together. What tune of peace and rescue have you been praying? Have your friends been praying, the people next to you, the people in this community, those in your family and in your life? Simeon had honed the craft of listening and joining in the song of others for all those years, sharing in the prayers. And I imagine in doing so, he also had honed the ability to recognize the way the Lord was beginning to move in those situations, in those prayers. He heard the sighs of the Spirit as it flowed like wisps of comfort in the hearts of hopeless and broken people. He heard the soothing song of blessing as it played on the hearts which with grieved longing for rescue. He heard the invitation of the God he loved to follow, to obey, to keep close, and to stay awake, to watch and to wait for the coming of the Lord. For the Lord has promised to bring rescue and hope and justice. Yes, there was a certain consolation in sharing in the songs of others, I imagine. But in honing his listening skills, Simeon had uniquely poised, was uniquely poised to proclaim the miraculous work of heaven when he saw it begin to move. And this is what happens as we continue in our passage. Let us continue reading, picking up in verse 27. The day the Spirit that day, the Spirit led Simeon, or led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby, Jesus, to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there 
He took the child in his arms and praising God, he said, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. The day had finally come and Simeon heard the music shifting into a higher key, a note of anticipation fulfilled, a new singer was taking the stage. As God redirected Simeon's gaze to the Christ child, he knew the song that he had been preparing for his entire life was finally beginning to play. Then Simeon, who lived a life of listening, began to become a teacher of a new song. He might have even surprised himself with its singing. I wonder if he had rehearsed those words or not. He sang into the hearts of this young couple all the way from Nazareth who came carrying more than they knew. Clearly, Mary and Joseph have both received proclamations about the Christ child and they had experienced many miraculous things. But I imagine carrying your two, three-week-old child, you're still carrying some questions. As Mary and Joseph demonstrated fidelity in their faith by coming to the community all the way from Nazareth to Jerusalem to dedicate their child, Simeon's extravagant display was a gift for their sacrifice. Just as he had done for countless others in sharing their song, so now he has gifted all the faithful throughout time and tradition with the song of hope and honest appraisal. I'm struck by the honesty in Simeon's song. He doesn't hold back from Mary. He's truthful that not all will receive the message of Jesus. He's even foreshadowing the pain that Mary will feel as a mother when Christ sacrifices himself on the cross for us. And yet Simeon's song remains, salvation has come. Salvation has come. Our part is simply to sing the song of hope and the peace and love and joy over and over, singing it into the light and singing it into the dark. The peace Simeon has waited for his whole life has finally begun. It's revealed. He had the faith and the ears to see it because he had practiced his listening skills. And then to proclaim it, we too long for hope and peace. How attuned are our ears to the song that we will speak, that will speak the promise and healing into our very souls. What song have you been longing to speak to others? What consolation, release, and freedom do you have to share? What I love about Simeon is that he doesn't second guess the situation. Again, imagine 
being faced with an infant, having the Holy Spirit say, here he is. This is the Messiah, this infant. He didn't argue. He didn't doubt. We don't know the surprise he must have felt at seeing the Messiah in this vulnerable baby. We just know that he followed the Spirit of God, trusting, and he began to sing. And in doing so, he became an answered prayer of longing and blessing for so many. But Simeon was not alone that day in the temple. There is another worship leader waiting for the music to begin. As we continue in our passage, verse 36, we're introduced to Anna. Anna, the prophet, was also there in the temple. She was a daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. She was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God and fasting and in prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. And there, the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was upon him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, Anna too had trained for this important role in her life. She knew the people. She knew the promises of God. She spent every day in the temple, seemingly. After all, she had been among the people for years and years. You know, this passage is implying to us that the community of faith matters. It mattered for Mary and Joseph to bring Jesus to the temple on his dedication day. Why else would they, in their poverty, make such a journey, do such an extravagant thing? How else could Simeon and Anna have known the tune of each of those who were gathered in the temple that day, except for community? How else could they have known the consolation that was necessary to bring to others? How else could they have been so perfectly poised to lead the community in God's new song of life? You know, when Anna hears the music, she doesn't miss a beat. She begins to teach the song to others all around her, running from one to another, making sure that they were joining in the singing. How would you like that? someone to come check on you as you're worshiping. You know, with Anna in the worship service, you can't stand silent. You can't have lips closed for that hymn that was being sung that day. It doesn't matter whether you think you can sing on tune or not. Anna ensured that you were taking up the verse and the chorus. I imagine it wasn't too hard of a sell either. I imagine the joy that Anna exuded was contagious. We don't know the words that she sang. Scripture doesn't give us that. But I think we have a glimpse of the mood of the tune she was singing. It was probably something in a major key, probably C major and like 140 beats per minute. I mean, it was a, probably a, a rocking song, right? The fall and the rising, the hopes in the verses and the climax of the choruses, the melody that makes us smile or perhaps brings a tear. As 84-year-old Anna 
sang exuberantly. None could resist and joined in her song. Perhaps like Simeon and Anna, you're waiting for your song to begin. Perhaps you know there is something, there is a tune in store for you and it just hasn't kicked in yet. A tune that promises your hope and your rescue. There's a tune out there calling the longing of your hearts, but you're not quite sure you've heard it begin. The promise to you today is that your song is on cue. Your song is in your up next playlist. It's coming. It's coming. As you remain faithful to listening and to turning your ear to Simeon, like Simeon and Anna did, to the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit works in your life, you're doing the right thing. Why did Anna have to wait 84 years for the song she had waited for her whole life? I don't know. Sometimes we find ourselves in the waiting. And yet, we do so with faith and with hope. Sure, we could stay stuck in the repeat after repeat of those familiar old worn out tunes, but you know those tunes too well, and you don't want to stay there. You want the new song in your heart. What hope and what longing might be out there in the new song waiting to begin in you? And once your song begins, are you going to sing it? Are you going to pick up the tune and sing it long and loud? You know, like our prophets, Simeon and Anna, they had learned the skill of listening and singing from a long tradition of prophets and poets who came before them. The Old Testament passage for today, again, comes from one of our favorites, the prophet Isaiah. He knew how to sing a tune pretty well. He had the words. Let's hear Isaiah 61, 10 and 11, and then beginning into the first three verses of 62. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. For he has dressed me with clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. The sovereign Lord will show his justice to the nations of the world. Everyone will praise him. His righteousness will be like a garden in early spring with plants springing up everywhere. Because I love Zion, I will not keep still. Because my heart yearns for Jerusalem, I cannot remain silent. I will not stop praying for her until her righteousness shines like the dawn and her salvation blazes like a burning torch. The nations will see your righteousness. World leaders will be blinded by your glory. And you will be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. The Lord will hold you in his hand for all to see a splendid crown in the hand of God. You know, Isaiah's song takes a different tune. It's a song of fashion. It's a song with garments and robes and righteousness. It's as if we're dressed for a wedding. We're compared to a garden in full bloom. We look like a chorus of praise singing in a heavenly choir, serenading the whole world. When Isaiah says, sing, we can't keep silent. Sing until everyone notices, until everyone hears. And what they need to hear is not your voice. 
What they need to hear is not your excellence, your virtuosity. What those who need to hear us in our song and singing is not us, but the director, the composer, the source of our song. We point others to God who brings the song to life within us. The beauty of the proclamation of our lives is a pointer to the ongoing presence of God to whom we sing. You know, one of my favorite Christmas carols is the song, Do You Hear What I Hear? You guys familiar with that one? It has a similar story. The song itself is loosely based on the, the nativity of Jesus, incorporating fragments of the Annunciation to the shepherds, then through Jesus. Though Jesus' name is never outright mentioned explicitly, it's implied in these words. Do you hear what I hear, said the night wind to the little lamb? Do you see what I see, a star dancing in the night? Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy, do you hear what I hear, a song high above the trees, a voice as big as the sea? Said the shepherd boy to the mighty king, do you know what I know, a child shivering in the cold, let us bring him silver and gold. Said the king to the people everywhere, listen to what I say. Pray for peace for people everywhere. For the child sleeping in the night will bring us goodness and light. He will bring us goodness and light. I love it. A night wind tells the lamb of a star. The lamb tells his young shepherd who in turn tells the mighty king. And the mighty king makes a proclamation for all to hear that this child will bring goodness and light to all the world. The song was written in 1962. Do any of you remember the American history or the world history, really, of the 1960s, especially 1962? Well, America was entrenched in Vietnam the Vietnam War was raging. But it was 1962 in which we began to get word or news or intelligence that Cuban missiles could likely reach American soil. The Cuban Missile Crisis was in full, uh, I don't know what you would call it. <laughs> it was on everyone's minds in 1962. It was into this context that Ragni and Shane wrote those words. It seems that the song that Ragni and Shane were longing to hear was also a song of peace, a song to bring an end to war, to violence. The lyrics, pray for peace among people everywhere, was poignant. It was a poignant message of the time it was a song that the Holy Spirit began to play in their heart and they sang it loud and long for all who would listen. Interestingly, in an interview from around the time of the song's writing, one of the song writers and the performers said, we can, we can never make it through the song uninterrupted when we play it. 
we tend to get choked up. It's too fresh. It's too raw. That's the kind of song that often the Holy Spirit wakes up into our hearts. Do you have songs like that? Whether it's a literal song that speaks your hope and your longings or whether it's just the things that you carry in your heart. Songs that speak of your longing for your life, for your family, for your community, for our world. Songs that speak into the empty spaces of your heart, your life. Prayers that can never really make it through without getting choked up because of the tears, the longing and the passion in your heart. What songs, what prayers will we sing into this new year? This is a day where oftentimes we take stock of where we've been and we look forward to where we want to go. Will we commit to being the sign of God's peace and work in the world through the song that we sing? Like Simeon, like Anna, like Ragni and Shane, like Isaiah, will we raise a song of hope, peace, joy, and love despite the dissonance that sometimes threatens to drown it out? If you today are still waiting for your song to begin, if we are remaining faithful and listening to what the Spirit is doing in our hearts, the song will begin in time, the proper time. The Spirit is faithful to sing into our souls. John Wesley, father of our particular tribe of churches, our denomination, penned an important song, an important prayer called the covenant prayer. In it, we ask God to assign our parts, to rehearse us, to direct us so that we can be the choir needed in the fullness of time. Maybe some of us will be assigned the role of a listener for now. Maybe some of you will be a soloist. Maybe some of you will be a voice in the choir. Perhaps others will have strong voices like Anna and Isaiah. Whatever the part that God assigns you, may we proclaim and may the tears of joy roll down our faces as we sing the music that God opens in our hearts. And we will praise God now and forever in this season and in the season to come. I wonder if in closing we can pray this prayer together. I have it prepared on the slides so that we can sing it or pray it. We'll not sing it. <laughs> it's also on your worship folder on the back page of your sermon notes. So you can take this song with you and rehearse it throughout the week. Let us pray this song together as we close. I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. Exalted for you or humbled for you. Let me be full. 
let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O oh wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, sustainer, you are mine and mine am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen. Amen.